Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. Where has the summer gone? I hope you get a chance to squeeze in a few more fun things during what's left of it. Between the end of my daughter's last swim season and heading off to Cal in a month, we're heading to Yosemite for a few days where, because of record snowfall last winter, Tioga Pass on the summit of the road through the park just opened last Saturday. I've got a bunch of great episodes lined up to entertain you on your summer drives. If you're a startup founder, you'll find them especially interesting, and today is one of those episodes. We're going to talk about pivoting and also the importance, once again, of storytelling. If that's something you need help with, I might know a guy. Now, let's jump into it, shall we? Steve Harvey is the CEO and founder of Kamina Bioscience. He's going to tell us what that is in a moment. Steve, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your startup journey for Camina Bio. You started the company in 2016. Tell us a little bit about what you all do and what was the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, so um, so we're a we're a DNA synthesis company. Um, specifically, we make we make genes, synthetic genes, and uh, synthetic genes are um, longer bits of DNA that code for a protein that may be of value to a customer. So what we're, what we're living through really is a kind of era of what gets described as a bio-revolution. And we're really moving towards um, really trying to uh, create more sustainable uh, supply chains but to be able to really, some people refer to as really grow materials in a more sustainable way. And what that means is that in, in the lab, the people wearing white coats, the scientists are reading, writing, manipulating DNA to create valuable genes and proteins that can be used by every, everyday consumers through to um, pharmaceutical companies to make new therapeutics for patients. And um, we started the company when we were really thinking about um, how to improve a DNA synthesis and, and make genes in a more accurate way. Um, we were scientists well, when we before we started the company, and we were really thinking about. We'd lived through an era of where the ability to read DNA had, ch- had changed a huge amount, and the ability to manipulate DNA had also changed a lot. But really, that that middle part of that value chain had, had really not changed that much. So, so we set out to make uh, the company Computer Bioscience, really to improve accuracy of DNA synthesis and really enable our customers to really solve kind of complex problems. Um, for in a, in a range of applications from you know, pharmaceuticals, agri-tech, um, diagnostics, you name it. It's quite a wide range of applications. So for people who listen to this who might not know a lot about DNA synthesis, I assume most people do if they're you know in the life sciences, but typically when you're making a new gene, you start with an existing gene and you say, we want to change this part and this part and this part, but you're making genes entirely from scratch, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So that's what people refer to as de novo synthesis. Um, so really what we do is we take really basic building blocks, uh, you know, the smallest piece of Lego, if you like, and then we assemble them into to longer and longer chains of DNA. 
and, and that those longer chains are really sequences that are designed by our customers. And so, uh, for reasons that they, they want that gene sequence and we'll put those building blocks together to make that longer gene sequence for them. And then when they've got it in their hands, they can then test the function of that gene and hopefully they've created something of value to them. Right. I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole for a while. I won't hear, but I'm still fascinated the idea that they come up with a gene that's going to encode some putative protein that they imagine has a function if it's not already based on something that they know. But, or maybe they think it's, uh, you know, I've talked to one company that synthesizes, you know, parts of genes in the hopes of creating more of a particular protein because it translates faster or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's really a new world for biotech. I think, uh, when I was an undergraduate, um, things like gene therapy were, were discussed a lot, um, but really weren't a reality. Whereas now there are real gene therapies. There are patients being cured of diseases through gene therapy. So. Some of the things that we do in the lab are very, very different today compared to even just five or 10 years ago. Um, it's quite, it's quite a, quite a really a, a amazing time to be in biotech. Yeah. Every, the whole world has got its foot on the gas and accelerating rapidly. Um, so let's talk about what did the early days of your company look like? Who was involved? What was your idea and what resources did you have? Because it's been a journey from there to here, that, which is what we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, initially when we started the company, so I was, I was very lucky that um, the kind of I, the, the beginnings of the company were developed, really the first part was developed by myself and a really close friend of mine, uh, someone called Derek Stemple. And, um, we were lucky because we, we'd worked together on and off for quite a long period of time. And we were really beginning to think about how to go out and improve DNA synthesis technology. And, uh, luckily Derek had had another company that had been successful before. And so he brought that experience as well to the, to the team. And so, so we went out and to set up the company and we you know, we managed to get, get enough money together to rent a lab. Um, but the lab had nothing in it. Um, that was really the kind of day zero of the company. And at that point we then started bringing other people into the company. So these are people that had read, you know, had some kind of connection to as scientists or perhaps had been involved in, uh, some other companies that we've been involved in before. And then over a period of time, we managed to build up quite a good, good group of really friends and family that kind of came together. That was the really the, the financing of the company at the early stage. And. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, uh, it's quite anyone that goes through the process. It's quite, um, sort of simultaneously scary and exhilarating at the same time. We, you know, I would had, uh, I was really lucky to get through our network and meeting with, um, someone who was a very experienced biotech entrepreneur and fortunately it was the same day I got the keys for the lab. And so I decided to hold the meeting there, but I actually had no furniture for us to sit on. So. I had to pack garden furniture for us to sit on in the office. And so it's quite, quite an interesting, uh, start to company life. Yeah. Yeah. So you had no, you had a lab, absolutely empty, no furniture, no equipment. And without yeah. going into all the details, I mean, what I'm trying to picture in my head, what it takes to 
you know, start a company where your goal is to synthesize genes entirely. I mean, a lot of reagents, a lot of tubes, of course, presumably centrifuges, stuff like that. I mean, and you're hiring people, which aren't free either. So how does that all come together? Yeah, well, you need money. Um, there's no way of dressing it up. You need money to do it. Um, and then even just getting going is actually quite, some things are surprisingly difficult. I remember, you know, we were trying to order just some basic chemicals to start off with where they just weren't interested in selling to us because we were an unknown entity. So some surprising kind of hurdles that you have in the early phase. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, so we were lucky we were managed to able to form, uh, since you a seed round of financing for the company, um, through our network. And the, the idea really was then to go out on a journey of kind of value creation in the company. And the first thing that we intended to do was to, um, file a piece of intellectual property or a patent application. And that was really the first value inflection point for the company. So we raised enough money to, to go off, hire a couple of people, get a few pieces of equipment and, uh, you know, file that first piece of intellectual property. So the idea was that then you've created value so you can go, you can go back out and if you need to raise more money, you can go, you can go again, continues to kind of grow in that, in that trajectory. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, it seems unimaginable that people won't sell you things, but because I'm imagining from the context of a university, but as a startup, wherever your lab is, they might think, how do I know I'm going to get paid by these guys who just rented a <laughs> yeah. room and are ordering yeah. a bunch of We've got them furniture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... And then, you know, to think through that strategy of, okay, what can we do to show that we are serious? We have some IP and, and so on. You create a thing of value. Hopefully that helps you raise a little bit more money and then people start to buy into the whole thing. So the first idea you had for synthesizing um, genes, I have trouble saying this, terminal deoxynucleotidal transferase, right? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. essentially adding bases on to the end of a single strand. Um, talk about that, what you learned and about, you know, from that not working the way you had hoped and how you managed to keep going from that. Yeah. So in, in the DNA reading world, the DNA sequencing world, there'd been a huge technology transformation by a technology that's called sequencing by synthesis. And the way that that works is that you, you have a piece of DNA that you're looking to, to read. And you basically extend the other chain of DNA, uh, essentially synthesizing the other strand. And, and, and that uses a class of enzymes that are typically referred to as polymerases. Uh, and they add DNA bases going, going along that chain. So our first thought was, well, that's a way of extending that. We can extend that to use a different class of enzymes that don't need that, that, that other strand of DNA, but they actually act in a, what was referred to as a template independent way. So you don't need that strand. And so TDT is one of these enzymes that um, is a template independent DNA polymerase. And so what we decided to do is to use that enzyme and four bases of DNA that have blocking groups on them. So this is really getting into kind of deep chemistry here. And what that means is that you can add um, basically one 
one uh, one nucleotide, one base of DNA at a time, but you can't add another one because okay, it's blocked. But then you can remove the block to allow you to add another one. So you can cycle through this process of adding one, then another one, and keep going that way. And um, that was our that was our first idea, and we pursued that um, with just you know a couple of scientists, and we really pushed on that idea, and we we felt that was a you know, value creation in the company, a fifth form of intellectual property. And then there were two things we then discovered afterwards. One is that it turned out that roughly five other companies had started a piece of intellectual property that was very, very similar. And of course, you don't know that initially because patent applications are in a, in a kind of dark period where not in the public domain. Um, so that was a problem. The second problem was really that um, the technology just didn't work in the way that we want wanted it to work and actually it was quite quite error prone and the reason it's error prone is that um, in our nucleotides that are being produced uh, by an independent company there are some byproducts in there just the enzyme like really loves the byproducts and not the thing that you want it to love and it will go along and it's a super fast enzyme and it just binds those and it will create huge stretches of DNA which is not what you want you only want to add one one base at a time. So we felt like we'd created this valuable piece of intellectual property, but actually the reality was we found it didn't really work in the way that we wanted it to. And so we we abandoned that piece of intellectual property and some other companies have continued to pursue it. But we just didn't really feel that it was a it was a viable strategy to really create that kind of step change in DNA synthesis that we really we, we were really looking to make. Um, unfortunately in the, in that process, really kind of like the ashes of like realizing that the value that we created was not really there. Uh, we came up with a new idea and that was really the beginning of, again, a new wave of, of technology that we're thinking about different classes of enzymes, different types of reagents, algorithms of, to design how we make genes really building a collection of different inventions that came together, which is now, over a period of time, come the, the, the DNA synthesis technology that we're using today. There's so many things in that answer. First of all, biology is hard, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go really all the way hard. back, like just the concept of untemplated DNA synthesis, because every one of us grows up thinking, well, yeah, DNA synthesis is easy. You have one strand and you copy the other side. And now we're going to do that with no template. And the challenge there is even if there's a tiny amount of, we'll call it contaminant in your reagent and the enzyme is so good that it actually loves that better than what you're trying to put on there, it gets away from you. And then in terms of a business, you know, just having to pivot, like you had a good idea and nothing wrong with that in principle except for the details of biology and chemistry and <laughs> infinity for enzymes. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. good thinking. And then, so you have to yeah. pivot, which a lot of companies do. And so I guess you could, um, I mean, you could talk about that or um, I want to ask actually how, how the experiences of, of your team help with funding and navigating those challenges. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, fortunately, um, through, you know, what was initially really a bunch of friends thinking of 
you know, a new idea. We had a collection of people who were very, very skilled scientists, but also have, have experienced these kind of business type problems before. And really taking an idea from, you know, very just kind of a thought right through to a, a successful business. And so, like you said, there's so many companies that take pivots um, throughout their early phase of life. It's really not uncommon and actually you know, managing that process in the right way, making sure that everyone, even in a small team, making sure everyone understands why, why you have to take that pivot. Um, it's a kind of a careful process that you have to manage because, you know, some people may believe that, you know, technology you know, needs to be developed more before you kind of get to an inflection point. There's, there's always lots of things that kind of come into that and keeping those stakeholders informed. One of the things that I think we've done quite well at the company is really create a kind of a culture of open and transparent communication. So any of these kind of big decisions are normally things that are discussed quite wide and open. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. I mean, I think you said it, like biology is just really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's too good at what it does. And it doesn't <laughs> want to pivot. Um, all right. So I learned about, I found you on LinkedIn. And because you wrote a series of posts and what probably got my attention was the breakthrough that landed your first customer. So let's talk about that. And then we'll talk about how you've been using LinkedIn and, you know, the impact it's had for you. Yeah. So, um, we, we decided that once we'd taken this pivot on our technology and things started to work in the way that we wanted, we, we wrote, uh, we wrote essentially two product notes, um, that we put on our website. One demonstrated that we were more accurate over a short distance of DNA, just 300 uh, base pairs of DNA. Um, what we did is we, we made um, a number of 300 base pair pieces of DNA with our technology, and we did it with the, the technology that's really been used since the, roughly the 1980s, the kind of gold standard technology. So it's a good benchmarking experiment. And over that distance, the, the phosphoramidite technology that's referred to uh, was just... 30% accurate over 300 base pairs, whereas our technology were nearly 90% accurate. So that was a kind of a big point for us to think, well, we've made quite a step change in accuracy of making DNA. So we, that was one product note. And then by extension, people want longer and longer pieces of DNA. And so we made what was a, a, a nearly three kilobase product. So it's a circular piece of DNA, DNA called a plasmid. And so those circular pieces of DNA are a bacteria. This is a common thing that you use in lab. Bacteria will make many copies of that. So if you need to grow DNA in bacteria, there's a common way that you would um, that you would do it. And so we put those two product notes on our website. And um, what was really interesting is it, one of them got picked up by a couple of news outlets. Um, the one in Lab Biotech. Um, and then I think it was Nature, Nature Biotechnology was running a review of DNA synthesis technologies. And, and so we got, a we got some coverage from, from those news articles. And, and then we got a few phone calls came through. And that was really the kind of turning point. We got our first customers through that. And um, just that kind of news story got picked up. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's one good for you like and to have that you know to put two notes on your website a new company 
no customers yet. You get found by nature biotechnology. Boom. So a little bit of content. Yeah. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I may have told you this. If I didn't, I'm going to tell everybody else. I'm one of the dinosaurs that synthesized a chunk of DNA using phosphoramidites by hand in 1982. I synthesized 13 base wow. oligos. I did not know that. Which, yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, the whole thing has to be done under argon gas. So there's no moisture in the air and there's no oxygen, I guess. So it was kind of a complicated yeah. thing. But as a, whatever, a 22-year-old in the lab, I'm thinking, this is really cool. I'm making a piece of DNA from phosphoramidites. Yeah. Um, Very cool. So as I mentioned, you um, you posted about this on LinkedIn. Talk about how that's made an impact in your first sort of brand awareness survey, how those two things come together. Yeah. So, so um, I had a couple of people that came to me and said, oh, oh, we've looked at your website. We, we don't really know what you do. Okay. And so I decided that we need to get some kind of numerical value on brand awareness. And so I decided to, you know, I, I announced to the team, it was, it was kind of funny, actually. I announced to the team, I said, well, we're going we're gonna to run some brand awareness surveys. We'll put it out via LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Um, we'll understand, you know, do people really know what we do? And so we, we put it out and I said, we'll get, we'll get lots of information. Uh, we'll learn a lot. And I put it out and I was quite excited about doing this. And then I think it was two weeks later, we'd have five responses. And I think one of the responses was from a family member. <laughs> so it didn't go very well. Thanks, mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so, uh, I, so the team really laughed at me for that. And then um, I said, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it again. But I'm going to offer a $25, you know, $25 Amazon voucher to one lucky winner at the end. And then I think it was within a week, we had 2,000 responses. So <laughs> it was, the whole thing was really funny. Um, but what came out of that was that um, it was roughly kind of 75% of people that responded to the survey had only heard of us in the last six months. And we'd been going for nearly like six years. So then I was, I went from like laughing about this to a complete panic. No one knows what we do. We have to do something about that. And in an early stage company, obviously you have to kind of use your resources, um, you know, to, you know, carefully so that you're not really wasting, you know, not wasting, say marketing is wasting money, but you have to be really careful about it. Money biotech is really expensive. So our inroad into kind of building brand and brand awareness was I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to personally go on a journey and try and learn myself how to use LinkedIn for brand awareness and marketing. And, and I made the, I made a kind of commitment. I, you know, something completely new to me to really kind of go out and create a lot of content and begin to kind of build up essentially a following, but also act as a, as a voice for the, for the company. And that's been going now for, I think, around about 18, 18 months. Um, it's been great, actually. It's been really good fun. I mean, obviously, when you start doing these things that um, it's like, a, like another burden, 
uh, in an already busy schedule. But actually, over time, it becomes quite a rewarding exercise for, in, for interacting with people outside of the company. Um, and the, you know, my my personal followers have gone from like six hundred to four thousand in about a year. And just the reach is the reach is really fantastic. You get a really lot of great engagement with people that wouldn't like you. Like, I mean, we we met over LinkedIn, so. I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't been posting on LinkedIn. So it's been, yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. I, I want to ask a little bit more about, you know, how you make the most of it, but, um, I'm just thinking about it. I, I see a lot of people talking about how to post on LinkedIn. In fact, a lot of my feed is, and it's because I've chosen to follow these people, but every day there's advice, but the simplest thing is, You've done it. As you say, it seems like a burden at first. You write well. You have a story every day that I see you post. And the reward, besides the awareness, is engagement with people, some of whom presumably might become a customer, but some other resource or connection to someone else in the industry. And then, you know, it's become the water cooler for you. Yes, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that effect. I mean, that's, I think it's just pretty cool. Is there anything else? What else would you tell people about how to make the most of this effort that it takes to put something out on LinkedIn on a regular basis? Yeah. So when I came out, I mean, so, so I think you're right. There's some really great people. A lot of my feed uh, are people with, you know, productivity hacks or, you know, how to write things. And I've followed a few people. Some of them have really fantastic advice about just like how to get going, um, how to maintain it, why, why you do it. So when I started, I came at it really, I wrote some kind of core principles about this is why I'm doing it. And I'm going to try and kind of keep working through that and, and then refine that process as I go forward. Um, I mean, one of the first things I did was really to start studying other brands. And what became apparent to me in that process was that um, the the kind of founder journey is a really kind of quite a compelling story that allows people to buy into a brand, not necessarily buying into the founder, but buying into the brand. They can relate to that story and really love to go on the journey um, to understand what it's like and to be part of that process. And I think some of the posts that I get the most engagement from with with other people are stories about the kind of the ups and downs of building a business and like just that story that i told you at the beginning of this this podcast is that you know day one amazing you know it's this huge titan by technology that i was having a meeting with and we had garden furniture to sit on you know the sort of garden fold out garden furniture beer can holders like people love that kind of that journey that just to be part of that journey. I think the other thing as well is that this really helps me is to just think about kind of structures of how to use your time really wisely. Because if you have to sit down and write a post uh, on the day that you're going to actually post it, you're, you're never going to get anything out that's good material. So you have to kind of capture ideas as you go going along. And it, you know, just do those ideas reflect on the kind of core principles that you're trying to get across. So. I think there's a lot of great advice out there. And so just kind of picking up on some of those, some of those people that are, um, that maybe we're both following, um, can be really, really helpful. 
I think there's some great examples there. I mean, I would say I probably follow too many people to where it's a distraction. Like you could just scroll through all their carousels and never actually do anything. You go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And that's a good idea. So what you did was you had a strategy. You said, why am I doing this? And then I personally find that, I mean, those posts about how to do something are nice, but it's much more interesting in the long run to follow someone like you who's telling a story, not telling someone how to do it, but what they did and what their experience was. I mean, yeah. I can tell you I from think, my own I think experience, the, just telling stories. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the the, ultim, the ultimate goal, I think, is that if you meet, if you meet someone in, in the real world, right, that they feel like they know you, that they, they've read your post and they, they've been able to kind of capture what is really an authentic representation of you. And so they feel like they know you. I think that's like an ultimate goal to get to. Honestly, that's the ultimate goal of marketing and a podcast. I tell people all the time, like if you listen to someone on a podcast, it's happened to me, it's happened to every podcaster I know, someone will come up to you somewhere in the real world and say, I feel like I know you. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. And I can say from posting on LinkedIn, my most engaged posts, the podcasts do pretty well because they want to hear other people's story. But when I write about my own experiences, the engagement goes through the roof. Yeah. My struggle is to find more experiences that I feel like people might want to hear about. But surprisingly, I haven't found the lower, the lowest bar yet that people won't engage with. Like, so, um, yeah, having a strategy and doing it on a regular basis is a way to meet a lot of people. Yeah. Well, Steve Harvey, thank you so much. This has been great talking to you. I really enjoy you sharing your story with us. And I will put a link to your profile so other people can learn from what you're doing in the show notes and a link to Kamina bio as well. Cool. It's been great talking to you, Chris. Thanks for your time. Yeah. My pleasure. I like Steve's approach on LinkedIn. Being consistent and telling a story that's of interest to your audience definitely pays off. I've said it before, but the more personal, the more people will be interested. Steve manages to do that just by describing his founder journey. People will get a sense of who he is, and some of those may work with him as an employee, a partner, or a customer. Who knows? Special thanks to anyone who's been listening for the eight years plus I've been doing these episodes. Everyone else, thank you for making it part of your day today. If you made it this far, you should probably tell your colleagues what they're missing. You definitely don't want them to find out you've been keeping the good stuff for yourself. I'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. Bye-bye.